So I'm sitting here with Professor Abdallah Schleifer, distinguished lecturer and professor emeritus at the American University of Cairo, in his beautiful house here in the leafy suburb of Ma'adi in Cairo. And we're going to have a discussion about the Green Knight Multimedia website. Mm -hmm. What I thought we would do, and many people have asked me this question, what is the basic ethos behind the Green Knight Multimedia? Why did I call it Green Knight? I thought the best way to actually answer that question is to ask our good friend Guy Ogilvy, mm -hmm. who has already given several talks for us on the alchemy of the Green Knight mm. and so on. Yes, he's already That's done sure. quite a few. Mm -hmm. uh, and as Guy is with us here in Cairo on this holiday, we thought that we would answer the question, why the Green Knight, by asking Guy to read from Ananda Kumaraswamy's great article on the subject. Mm. Have you come across that? No, and I, I should, I mean, I have a lot of individual articles by him that popped up in various journals, you know, like the original journal that was edited in England by, he's passed away, he's a very nice chap. Um, people, Brian People? Uh, yeah. Lipsy. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Clive it's Ross. probably before your time. <laughs> <laughs> so Professor Schleifer doesn't want to show his age by reading that. This goes back to a journal in the 1960s. I think you're thinking of studies in comparative religion. That's right. Clive Ross. Clive. In the 60s. Yes. Yeah. So I was actually, it wasn't quite before my time. I was born in 1960. Right. So I was a child then. Right. So what we're going to do is ask Guy to read from the article, and and is that and it is that article that establishes the Green Knight as a figure. It, this article establishes the let's call it the metaphysical uh, significance of the the Green Knight poem. You mm -hmm. see, the Green Knight it was called Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Right, it was a poem written by an anonymous writer in the 14th century mm -hmm. in England. Apparently in the area of Staffordshire, they can locate it because of the dialect that's right. being used. This is in, in uh, Middle English, and uh, it's a, a remarkable poem. And what Kumaraswamy has done has brought out he's brought out the metaphysical significance of the basic theme. Which well, do you know? Do you know what happens at the beginning of the the poem? No, the I don't green, know the poem. All right. Well, the Green Knight rides into the court of King Arthur. All right. Well, he rides right in. He rides in. Dying, exactly. Yeah, I vaguely he rides in just at the time when King Arthur has said, we're not going to start eating unless someone tells me a fantastic story. Mm. And at that very moment, the right. great knight he rides, right he rides right in. And he says, well, you know, you're the bravest knights of the land. I challenge one of you to come and to cut off my head. Oh. Uh, on condition that he who cuts off my head, allows me to return the blow one year from now in the Green Chapel. With his head and they're all thinking, well, what's he talking about? He's a madman. That's right. Once his head's cut off, that's it. Head. So King Arthur stands up and is about to deliver the blow. And Sir Gawain stands up and says, Sir, my lord, let me do this. This right. is below your dignity. Right. I will do it for you. So um, King Arthur allows Sir Gawain to perform the act. So Gawain comes forward and chops off the head of the Green Knight. 
Does he dress in green? He's dressed in green, his horse is in green, everything is mm. green, everything about him is green. Mm. And this much is clear, that it stands for, for the evergreen, right? the symbol of the evergreen, what is perpetual, what is renewed, what is eternal life, eternal life yeah. resurrection after apparent death, mm -hmm. all those things. So he, he cuts off his head, and the green knight then lifts up his head, mm. his severed head, mm. and the head speaks and says, Sir Gawain, one year from yeah, now, in have. the green chapel, I return the globe. Mm. And then he gets on his horse and he goes off, carrying his head. So this is the basic uh, theme of the beginning, anyway. It goes on. It's, 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 it's quite an interesting narrative. Uh, and on, on the website, we've talked about the different aspects of this. But today, what we're going to do is ask Guy to read from the beginning of this marvelous article in which, as I say, Kumaraswamy helps us to appreciate in universal context the metaphysical significance of a mysterious character who, as it were, immolates himself, mm. who, has, who sacrifices himself, mm. but is there, who comes back to life immediately. Mm. So Kumaraswamy explains that this is found in Indra and Namuji and in many other stories. Mm the Native American tradition and elsewhere, of a curious beheading mm -hmm. that is the initiation mm. of creation. Mm. So the creation begins from a kind of self-immolation of the Absolute. So in a sense, the Absolute consents to being, quote, killed in order that relativity may emerge out of the which sacrifice, is absolute planet. which is manifestation. manifestation. But prior to manifestation, is just the absolute. Right. And the absolute consents to have himself executed. Mm. In other words, that he has his absoluteness relativized, and from that apparent execution, that apparent death of his absoluteness, comes the relative uh, manifestation of the creation mm. of the universe. Mm. But it's nothing other than the absolute that has sacrificed itself in order to, quote, become relative. Mm. So, now we'll go over think that, in a way, echoes um, uh, God and Jesus? Exactly. Very much so. That God consents. That's right. Yes, that Jesus, they say in Christianity, that that the Son mm -hmm. emptied himself in, keno in kenosis. Mm. The Greek word is kenosis, which is self-emptying. Mm -hmm. That God consented to empty himself of his divinity mm. in order to take on the form of a servant. Mm. That's in St. Paul, I think. St. Paul said that this was the humility of the Lord, that he consented to become a mere human being mm -hmm. and a servant to boot, yeah. washing the, the, and the son of, And the son of a woman. The son of an ordinary. I mean, he wasn't born, you know, like exactly in an earthquake or something. He was the son of a woman. So all of these things herself was immaculately conceived. Yeah, that's right. So all of these metaphysical correspondences mm -hmm. are there. If we understand what it is that happens with the initial sacrifice of the absolute to become or to manifest relativity. So over to you, Guy. Um, we will now. Ask Guy to read the first page or so. Let's see how far we get. Let's see how far we go. Right, right from the beginning. The late Professor Kittredge, in his Gawain and the Green Knight, 1916, 
was more interested in the literary history of the motives than in their mythological significance. His vast learning enabled him to bring together a great body of parallels, from which he makes it evident that the fundamental motive of the challenge derives from a remote antiquity beyond the reach of literary history. And here we should say what the challenge is, the challenge to cut off the head. Indeed, and the motives behind this challenge, which he um, goes on to address. Still, he has overlooked a source older than any of those that he cites, and one that furthermore throws a strong light upon the meaning of the story. Of the two parts of the myth, it is mainly with the challenge that we are concerned. What happens is that an uncouth stranger, the Green Knight, appears at Arthur's court on New Year's Day when all are seated at table. But it is the custom not to eat until some marvel has been seen or heard. Mm. The stranger rides into Arthur's hall and challenges any knight to cut off his head, upon condition that he shall submit to the same forfeit a year later. Gawain takes up the challenge and beheads the stranger, who walks off with the head in his hand. It speaks, calling upon Gawain to keep his word. So Gawain does. The Green Knight spares his life and becomes his friend. The myth in its European setting is of Celtic essence. There are many parallels. The early English version is a masterpiece of English literature. By way of introduction, let us consider the Green Knight's severed head that speaks, and the parallels in which a severed head is described as moving of itself, or rather rolling, as well as speaking, and also the Sioux myth in which the severed head of the monster rebounded and continues to rebound to this day in the form of the sun. And observe that in the Vedic tradition also, Indra severs the titan Namuchi's head, which rolls after him, bitterly reproaching him, and that this head too becomes the sun. As does Ahivatras, Prajapati's and Makavishnu's. Again, Kitteridge remarks of the pursuing heads in various parallel versions that they roll or bound along the ground, often with cannibalistic intent, hmm. that it is not always easy to see any essential difference between these heads or skulls and the rolling rocks so familiar in North American Indian folklore. While the severed head is described in the Indian texts as a bright revolving rock, the sun, an iridescent rock set up amidst the sky, and hence the prayer to Indra, Set thou the rock of the sky a-rolling, prepare the soma-sharpened weapon, smite thou the demons with thy stony bolt. In other words, the head, Namachi, let there be light. Again, in the Cheyenne myth, a magician hero decapitates himself with a bowstring, <laughs> while in one Indian form of the story, the decapitation of Makshavishnu hero and magician, is brought about by a bow of which the string is cut. These correspondences are already sufficient to suggest that we have to do with significant equivalents. Well, let's just pause there mm. to consider that as um, both Kitteridge, who inspired um, Kumaraswamy to look deeper into this legend, and Kumaraswamy himself have found parallels, ancient parallels, in cultures as far afield as Vedic tradition on the one hand and Native American um, mm. mythology on the other hand, where we have these decapitated heads that speak and roll and rebound 
and in the Indian tradition, the Native American Indian and the subcontinental Indian tradition, these heads have a tendency to turn into the sun. Mm. So there's a really ancient creation, sort of mytho mythological creation aspect of this, in which um, the sun itself is um, the head of the great primordial titan mm. or monster. Mm. And when they refer to the sun as a, a fiery rock, are we now entering into alchemical symbolism? Well, inevitably, as soon as you start talking about fiery rocks, it starts... Gold, the sun. Also, in alchemical symbolism, the, the decapitated head appears in, um, it appears in the iconography, in alchemical iconography. Um, in the Splendor Solace, there's one, dismemberment of the king. There's this idea of the decapitation of the... There's an idea of the one. The one is a symbol of... The, the number one is a symbol of the yod, of unity, and of course the masculine. It's the archetypal masculine. Um, symbol. And it's also the I in English or um, for example capital I stands for I, the individual person, mm -hmm. the individual personage. And the small I is in effect a decapitated mm -hmm. big I. So there's also the idea we're moving from the lesser I, the decapitated I as it were, to the greater eye mm. to which the head is restored oh. and has its full unity where it then represents one as such. Mm. So I am that I am, as God speaks, I am that I am, and God as caput, as the head mm. of creation, um, as opposed to the lesser being, which with its decapitated head, that is then on a journey to the restoration, the recapitalization of itself. Mm. So interesting that those monsters or titans whose heads are cut off, who had the pride and arrogance to imagine that they were the full deal, mm. that they were the capital I, that they were the one, they have to be decapitated, and despite their bitterness and reproach um, at having been decapitated and even trying to carry on the fight as cannibalistic heads, they become the sunset in the sky, mm. which in a sense is reflects the lower glory or the glory in in the material universe of the um, the true head, the true one, which is the divine itself. Mm. Well, that's a good place to start, isn't it? Thank you very much indeed, Guy. That was very interesting, and we'll stop there for the time being and resume where we've left off. All right?